0: Well, today we are continuing on in our series, this little series called City to City. And last week, um, Jason kind of took us into the book of Acts and we looked at the church at Antioch, this amazing church, the first Jew-Gentile congregation that the Lord uses to spread the gospel out to more places. Jew-Gentiles coming together in the same gospel well, today we're going to hop on over to our, our next little case study, uh, and it's going to be the city of Philippi and the first church that really the first church of, in, in all of Europe and how it all begins uh, in this city of Philippi. And we're going to continue to see what we can learn about God's unique and miraculous work in establishing the early church movement of mission to the world. Okay, So we're going to go to Philippi today, and we're going to open our Bibles here to Acts 16. So open your Bibles to Acts 16, and we're going to read two verses to start our time off together. And these are the two verses that sort of precede the passage we're going to dive into. But I think it's in- incredibly important to read these two verses in particular. So let me go ahead and read them. This is Acts 16, verses 4 and 5. It says this, As they, so Paul, Silas, went on their way through the cities they delivered to them for observance the decisions that had been reached by the apostles and the elders who were in Jerusalem. So there was some decisions that were made by the, by the council, the Jerusalem council in Acts 15. And verse five says, so the churches were strengthened in the faith and they increased in numbers daily. This is the word of the Lord. Well, as I said earlier, these two verses are not a, a, a part of the, the passage that we're actually looking into today. The reason why I wanted to really kick our time off of those two verses is because those two verses signify this, this changing tide in the book of Acts. It's a turning point in the book. And really, my main point flows from these two verses and will kind, of, uh, we'll kind of, as an umbrella, inform the rest of our passage here. And the main point of my sermon is this, healthy church, growth— Always results in evangelism. Healthy church growth always results in evangelism. Okay, so to really feel confident in that statement, that healthy church always results in evangelism, to really feel confident about that, it's important to have a little bit of a synopsis about what's going on in the book of Acts up to this point. Well, the gospel, we know, begins in Jerusalem. The first church starts there. Jews uh, come to know the Lord. It's, it's really a homogenous church, Jews first Those Jews get persecuted, right? They scatter because of persecution. They end up in the surrounding areas in the north, modern day Syria, Antioch. And the gospel there starts to become made known to Jews, but also the gospel starts to be heard by the Gentiles. Now, who are the Gentiles? It's all the nations. So most of us in here, Gentiles. And the gospel begins to go out from Jews to Gentiles. And Jew and Gentile start coming together and forming churches, unity in the gospel and the gospel they confess is clear it's the gospel of grace alone through faith alone and at this point in the book of acts the gospel spread to these other regions now it's time for the lord to level things up and so paul and silas they've just gotten back from jerusalem there's some decisions that were made by the council to just uh, press on in the gospel and and paul and silas are excited to get back to the churches with this letter and they start encouraging the churches to press on in their gospel ministry so that's where we begin today with Paul and Silas jumping from city to city to encourage churches. Now, at this point, so far, hopefully, it's clear you're seeing the missionary strategy of God play out in the Book of Acts. It's very, very simple, right? It's Christians, uh, it's it's people come to know the Lord, they hear the gospel, okay, and that happens through evangelism. That evangelism leads to churches gather uh, um, Christians gathering and forming churches. So, evangelism, church planting. And then what happens? Those churches start to grow, church growth. So we see evangelism, uh, church planting, church growth, and then church growth produces more evangelism and more church planting and more church growth. And this is the cycle and this is the missionary plan of God and this is what he's been doing for the last 2,000 years. This is the strategy. And so bake that, kind of have that, that strategy baked in your head here and, and tie it to the, to the main point, right? That healthy church growth always results in evangelism. And then we're going to ask two questions of our actual passage, two questions that we're going to seek to answer from our text today. The first question is this, where does the church scattered? So where the church gather, we're going to scatter, right? That's our vernacular. Where does the church scattered go with the gospel? Where does the church scattered go? Then the next question who does the church scattered reach with the gospel? We'll start with that first question. Where does the church scattered go with the gospel? Where does the church scattered go with the gospel? Answer we go, the church, we, we go where the gospel is not. We go where the gospel is not. Now, this was Paul's motivation. If you were to read Romans 15, Paul says, I make it my ambition to take the gospel where Christ has not been named. His ambition is to go where Christ is not. Okay, that's his motivation. It's the apostle Paul. Why should that be our motivation? Well, let's look at the text here and find that out. Acts 16, starting in verse six, it talks about how they... They, who's they? Paul, Silas, Timothy joins up with them. They went throughout the region of Phrygia and Galatia and having been forbidden by the Holy Spirit to speak the word, they're forbidden to evangelize in Asia for some reason. Um, It says that they then come up to Mysia and then they attempt to enter into Bithynia. But then the spirit of Jesus, it says the spirit of Jesus did not allow them to, to go there as well. So Paul and Silas and they are like trying to be strategic and they're going into all these places that make sense. The gospel's not up there. We need to go up there. Um, and the spirit forbids. And a side note, Bithynia and all these places they are along the Black Sea coast of Turkey, those places ended up hearing the gospel and ended up getting reached eventually. But this is not in God's plan here. His plan's different. And so what does God do? He reroutes them and it says they pass by Mysia. Now Luke says passing by, but it's not really passing by. They, they walk 400 miles the other way. And they go down to Troas. Troas is a very influential harbor port city, not far from the city of Troy, if you know the story of the, the um, battle of Troy and the Trojan horse, so Troas. And it says that a vision appeared to Paul in the night and a man of Macedonia, Macedonia's Europe, was standing there urging, urging him and saying, come over to Macedonia and help us, help us. And Paul, when, he, uh, when Paul had seen uh, the vision, immediately it says, we sought to go to Macedonia, concluding, the conclusion there, God's calling us to preach the gospel to them. So Paul's conclusion is, okay, this guy's crying out for help. Gotta, we gotta go preach the gospel. Now notice, that's kind of fascinating, right? Because the Macedonian man isn't, isn't really with specificity saying, help me it, with this or this. He's saying, help us. But Paul deduces from this request that this man is in need of something much deeper than humanitarian aid or clean water in Macedonia or maybe even consulting in in business. Now, Paul was a marketplace missionary at times. He did tent making. I'm sure he would consult businesses from time to time. Luke was a physician I'm sure he was a medical missionary at times. They used their professions and vocations. But notice what their ultimate conclusion is. It's not to use those things to help them. Their ultimate conclusion is that God is calling us to preach the gospel to them. So you see, Paul and Silas, they have this gospel above all else perspective. They understand that the greatest need of humanity, the greatest need fundamentally of all of humanity is to know God in Christ and to be reconciled to him. Fundamental need. Now I wonder, do we really believe this? Do I believe this? Do we hold fast to a biblical view of humanity that recognizes that the universal problem endemic to all of humanity is that All human beings on planet earth have fallen short of the glory of God. All human beings have fallen into sin and are thus unable to live a righteous life that God requires. Do we believe this? Do we also believe that the only remedy to this problem is for mankind to turn from sin and to trust by faith that the forgiveness of sins is secured through the perfect life and self-sacrifice of Jesus, his righteousness for our unrighteousness? Jesus is the remedy. Do we believe this? Paul and his callings, colleagues, it's clear, crystal clear. They get it. They know who they once were. Paul remembers who he once was, persecutor of the Jews, chief enemy number one of the Christians not too long ago. Silas remembers who he once was. Do we remember who we once were? This gospel, this good news is the chief motivation that now permeates everything that they're going to do from here on out. And they're willing and motivated to go where the gospel is not. Now, can we say that about ourselves, that the chief motivation for us is to take the gospel where it is not? Well, by God's power, let's think about the missions movement here. It's this is kind of the beginning of the missions movement. And let's fast forward 2,000 years to where we are today and just think about it. This gospel that Paul and Silas are taking uh, to the ends of the earth ends up going throughout all of Asia. It goes to Europe. Um, it ends up spreading to the ends of the earth, all the way to the ends of the earth, Atlanta. Like we're the ends of the earth and the gospel came to us 2,000 years later. It's gone so many places. Think about the tribes of Papua New Guinea. It's gone there. Think about the Amazon. It's gone into the Amazon and reached tribes there. It's gone to cities like London, Kuala Lumpur, Cairo. It's even gone to North Korea. Yet, even with the gospel present in all of these places, there's still so much work to be done. Cairo, Kuala Lumpur, North Korea, they're still largely untouched with the gospel. There's more work to be done where the gospel has, has not uh, fully and completely gone. And so this is why, this is actually why Christ's covenant has formed these partnerships very strategically all over the world. We didn't just kind of randomly handpick these partnerships. We think that it's important for us to support these partners that are in these strategic cities. Uh, Grace City Church of Santo Domingo, Gospel City Network in Kuala Lumpur, Breccia de Roma in Rome, Emmanuel International Church in Paris, Mustard Seed Tokyo. We have all of these partners. Uh, Stockwell Baptist in London. We have all of these partners because we believe that those churches are there to bring the gospel to places where it is not in those cities. That's important. Now let's bring it to the home base. Let's think about Atlanta. We have churches here all over the place, Passions down the street, Morningside. Praise God, we have gospel preaching churches here. But even in Atlanta, there are neighborhoods, there are streets, there are workplaces, social groups where the gospel has not gone. And actually, we could probably use hundreds of churches more planted inside the perimeter, hundreds more churches revitalized. I wonder, friends, are we so enamored with the gospel that it changes everything about our lives as it does for Paul and Silas, everything, it changes everything about our lives and our decisions, the gospel above all as our chief motivation, which means we are willing to go wherever the gospel is not. And if that is the chief motivation, if it's the chief motivation for me and you, then be ready, I'll say be ready, because the Lord will take you to places that you would have never imagined for the sake of Christ, whether here locally in Atlanta or far and wide to the nation's. Now, interesting, unique, redemptive stuff happening in the text here today, okay? It's not the norm today for us to have visions or hear audible callings of the Lord could certainly do that. Luke is very intentionally as a historian trying to document redemptive history and the spectacular, miraculous movement of the early church. And he's, he's not trying to give us a playbook. He's not trying to give us sort of formula. Paul did this. He waited for a vision, so I need to do that. He's not trying to do that. He's trying to, but he is trying to give us instruction. He is trying to give us some, some principles here. And I'll say this, in God's kindness, he has given us adequate and ordinary means to know what to do next and to how to scatter where the gospel is not. And he's done that now through his word, the Spirit is speaking to us through His Word. He's given us pastors and elders. He's given us church community, our spouses. He's he's given you individual skill sets that are unique to you. He's, He's given you desires of your heart. All of these things together, working as a package, means of grace to help you discern where to go with the gospel. Now, I was thinking uh this week about my my uh son how in the fall we one of our favorite things to do um kind of just I don't know if we're bored, we go outside and we see um, these sort of fluffy dandelions in the, in, the, in the fall. And one of my favorite things to do is pick up my son, Calvin, and hold him in my arms, grab a little dandelion. And he loves blowing those seeds off the, off the dandelion stem. And he watches them and his face lights up. And you see the seeds kind of going everywhere. And I was, I was thinking this week about the dandelion, how when those seeds get a draft of wind or you know the breath of a child behind them, those seeds seem like they're kind of scattering at random all over the place. We know they eventually like, hit the ground and they sprout up new life. But actually, those seeds aren't flying around at random. There's a draft of wind behind those seeds. It's very, uh, very purposefully directing them where they should go. Now, they're going different places, but the wind is directing them where they should go. And that is very much what the scattering church is like. Now, we might feel like, man, I don't know where to go next with the gospel, I don't know where to go. I don't know where he's calling me. I know he's calling me to go where the gospel is not. But let me just say this: like those dandelion seeds that are spread and seem at random, that's going to be our lives. If the gospel is above everything, we will be ready to go where, to places where we could have never imagined, and the Lord will very purposefully direct us for what for what reason, so that we will, uh, for, so that the seed will sprout new life, so that our evangelism will sprout new life, and people will come to know the Lord about. Uh, the good news about our resurrected Savior. So we, the church, are like a dandelion. We spread like this. Very purposefully, the Lord does that. So the church scatters um, where the gospel is not. Our second question, who does the church scattered reach with the gospel? Okay, we go where the, where the gospel is not, but who does the church reach with the gospel? Well, after Paul sees this vision, he concludes there to go to Macedonia and preach the gospel. And notice here, uh, you'll notice a little kind of, this is kind of cool, a little pronoun shift here. In verse 7, it says, they had come up to Mysia. But then now here in verse 10, it says that we sought to go to, to Macedonia, and they set sail from Troas, and we made a direct voyage. Now, who's we? Well, Luke the author now is entering into the story. And I just think that's absolutely incredible that the writer of this, this uh, epic of Acts isn't just documenting things that he's heard. He's seen some of this take place. And so we is Paul, Silas, Timothy, and um, Paul, Silas, Timothy, and Luke. And they move across the Aegean Sea. And it says that they eventually ro- arrive to the city of Philippi, which is a leading city of the district of, of Macedonia and a Roman colony. Now, important here, Paul Paul, or Luke says that, um, that Philippi is a leading city in the district of Macedonia and a Roman colony. So this isn't just any place. This is a very important place that the Lord brings them next. It's a leading city in the district of Macedonia, and more importantly, a Roman colony. Not every city in the empire was a colony, but Philippi is a designated Roman colony. So what does that mean? It means this city, the emperor of Rome, has designated this city as sort of a micro-Rome, a mini-Rome, an extension of Rome. So It's a hub for uh, politics. It's a hub for emperor worship and pagan deity worship. It's a religious hub. It's also an economically significant hub. There's a a highway called the Via, uh, Via Ignatia that goes right through that city. And so there's all kinds of trade and commerce and religious activity. And it's a very important place. And the Lord brings Paul, Silas, Timothy, and Luke there to preach the gospel. Verse 12 says that they remained in the city Um, for some days, so they're there for a time. We can assume they're already getting after it, sharing the gospel, uh, 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 getting to know people, mixing it up in the city. Um, But notice here that Luke, very intentionally in our story now, he didn't talk about all the little details. They were there for some days, so there's a lot of stuff that's happened, but Luke focuses in on three sort of vignettes, three gospel encounters very specifically that he wants us to see that take place in this city. Three gospel encounters, and why does he do this? Well, I think that Luke wants us to see in these three stories that the gospel can change anyone and anything. Can change anyone and anything. It knows no boundaries, no barriers. The gospel is for all peoples. So let's kind of look at these encounters one by one. Let's look at this first encounter here, starting with verse thirteen. So they're in the city, Paul and the guys on the Sabbath day. They're looking for a place to worship. It's Philippi, not a lot of Jews in the city. And so they supposed there was a place of prayer where the Jews would gather. And they found the place and they sat down and they spoke to the women who had come together. So it's interesting, not men here, women have come together at this place of prayer. And uh, imagine like a, a women's gospel fellowship right there in Philippi, of course, without the gospel. And Jennifer McClish isn't there. Uh, But a women's gospel fellowship. The Apostle Paul's there, so it's gonna get really cool. Um, But kind of a a women's Bible study. They have their Hebrew Bibles open, their Old Testaments, these Jewish ladies. Um, and, And notice that they're speaking to women. And guess who else is there? A woman named Lydia, not a Jewish name. And she's from the city of Thyatira, and Thyatira's in Turkey. So she's a woman, she's Gentile, gathering with the Jews, she's Asian, and it says she's a seller of purple goods. So she's a businesswoman and a successful businesswoman. If you're selling purple goods, these are luxury textiles that you would sell to the cultural elite of Roman society. So she's come from Asia to this city to sell her goods. And then it says that she uh, was a worshiper of God. That's interesting. So she's converted to Judaism. She's a worshiper of God, and she's gathering with these Jewish women to study the Bible. And it says that the Lord opened her heart to pay attention to what was said by Paul. So they're engaging in a discussion from the Bible, and the Lord opens her heart, and then she comes to know the Lord. She hears the gospel, and after that, she was baptized in her household as well. So her household hears the gospel, and they're baptized as well. And it's incredible uh, because this is encounter number one, right? Gospel encounter number one, wealthy Asian, culturally elite, intellectually inclined, now woman of Christ. And look at what happens after she receives this gospel. Automatically, her affections change, and she has this gospel hospitality. If you have judged me faithful to the Lord, come to my house and stay so Lydia becomes this uh, incredible partner in the gospel for Paul and Silas as a result of her transformed heart. So this is our first encounter, and I, I wonder, Christ Covenant Church here in Atlanta, in our communities, can you think of someone like this? Perhaps a, a businesswoman or or someone with all kinds of connections to the influencers of society. I mean, I know we have some Lydias here in our church who've come to know the Lord women that are impactful and influential. There are more women out there in our city. Think of, I don't know, a boutique owner in, in, uh, in, in Buckhead or um, in Sandy Springs. Or Think of, so, there are so many women that are like this that perhaps don't know Christ. Imagine how the gospel could change that woman's heart if someone would just engage her. Imagine how her business would change how she would connect her business to the economy of God in the world through evangel- evangelism. Imagine the influencers that she would have access to. The gospel can change anyone or anything. Let's we'll look at our next encounter. Next encounter, same location, place of prayer, starting in verse 16. And they were going to the place of prayer and they're met by a slave girl, okay? They're met by a slave girl. And this slave was likely trafficked on the slave trade of the Roman roads. She had a, a, a spirit of divination. That word in the Greek is um, actually pneuma uh, pythonos. So she had the spirit of the python, which was actually a cult in Greece. So she was kind of a part of this sect of demon-possessed fortune tellers um, who had the spirit of the python. So she's demonically possessed. She's trafficked. She's poor obviously exploited by her owners for uh, the money that she brings through this fortune-telling ability and who knows what else. And it says that this girl follows Paul in this little group for days, annoying them, <laughs> crying out, these men are servants of the most high God who proclaim to you the way of salvation. And what's interesting here is she's, what she's saying isn't wrong. Like they are proclaiming the God of the most high and their, the way of salvation, But Paul gets really annoyed because she's saying that time and time again. And I wonder why Paul's getting annoyed. I mean, if anything, it's like, she's kind of helping us. But actually, Paul's annoyed because likely, and we gotta do some sort of missionary contextualization here. But in first century, Philippi and the Philippian mind, their thought of the most high God was Zeus. Zeus. And so it's likely that anybody that was walking by, you know, not engaged with what Paul's saying here could hear the, the slave girl screaming that out. And they're like, oh, they're preaching Zeus. They're preaching Zeus. And so Paul, he's like, dude, I don't want any confusion to the gospel. And so he's like, I'm annoyed of this. And he liberates her from the bondage of the spirit. And he says, in the name of Jesus Christ, come out of her. He casts the spirit out of her. Now Luke doesn't indicate that that the slave girl was uh, converted. He doesn't indicate that, but there is a liberation of sorts by the power of the gospel. And it says that her business owners are like really upset because this girl's ability is gone. Their hope of gain was gone. They seize Paul and Silas. They drag them into the marketplace. They bring them before the rulers. And they say, these men are Jews. Servants, uh, these men are Jews, and they're disturbing our city. They advocate customs that are not lawful for us as Romans to accept or practice. And so they throw Paul and Silas in prison. And think about this encounter, completely different than the one before, right? Now we have a poor slave girl, ethnically Greek, demonically hostile to the gospel, now liberated by the disrupting power of Christ. And this change not only sets her free from spiritual bondage, but the gospel also confronts the unjust practices of her traffickers. The gospel is disruptive. It's a whole different encounter here. Now, our city, Atlanta, top seven in the United States for human trafficking, and every single day in our city, we have women who are sold, traded, and drugged for profit. Uh, if you pay close attention, you, you will see this activity in our city, not far from our church here, red light district, women that are getting trafficked and manipulated and exploited. It's right around us. And so my question to you all is, and, and, and even obviously to myself here, are we willing to go into the dark and vulnerable spaces of our city to reach the slave girl, the slave girl of Atlanta, are we confident that we can do this with the power of the gospel? Now, of course, we need to do this responsibly, which is why we as a church, we've, we've partnered with these various Bless the City ministries, and one of them, or actually two of them, um, work in this anti-trafficking space, but their primary aim is the gospel above all, and they want to bring the gospel to this, this community and for holistic transformation. And um, so we partner with these ministries, Frontline Ministries and Beloved Atlanta, Church, are you willing to come alongside our ministries to fight the injustice of human trafficking through the power of the gospel? The gospel can change anyone in anything. So let's get to our third encounter. Result of this encounter with the slave girl, Paul, Silas, they're in jail now. And it actually says they're, they're, in the, they're deep in sort of the inter-sanctum of the Philippian prison and they're beaten and flogged. And they're accused of confronting these customs of, of Rome with the gospel. And look what they do as they're in prison, um, starting in verse 25 here. They're in prison, they're, they're wounded, and they're not discouraged, not crying out uh, in distress. They're not questioning the call of God. Why did you bring us here, Lord? Instead, it says that they were praying and singing hymns to God. And the prisoners were listening to them prisoners were listening to them praise and sing uh, to the Lord. Now, it's likely that they were praying the gospel, singing the gospel, speaking the gospel, getting after it, gospel above all in all circumstances. But then who else is probably listening? Well, the jailer. There's a jailer in the situation. This is our third encounter. Who is the jailer? Well, the jailer is a blue-collar, middle-class Man, likely a retired Roman soldier. Retired Roman soldiers would would usually settle the rest of their days in these Roman colonies and they would work in sort of civil service or government service. And so uh, this particular person, being the lead jailer, he was likely uh, a decorated um, military officer in his his, uh, military career. He likely saw some combat experience. And so this position was reserved for him. But think about it. This guy's seen some things. He's very different than Lydia, Lydia was a spiritually gentle and open person. He's different than the slave girl, spiritually hostile. And we know that this man is much different from them because he actually, uh, he's ordered to protect Paul and Silas. But what does it say? It says that he he actually put them in the inner part of the prison. So he's cruel, he's hard-hearted. The gospel can change anyone in anything. And as if this, this scene couldn't get any more dramatic, look at verse 26, there's a giant earthquake. The foundations of the prison are shaken and immediately all the doors are open and everyone's bonds are unfastened. And so supposing that the, the prisoners have escaped um, the jailer, he panics because see the jailer knows his chief duty is to protect the citizens of Philippi. Is to protect the citizens of the Roman Empire. This earthquake happens, prisoners are likely gone. And so, supposing that the prisoners uh, had escaped, he takes a, a sword, about to kill himself. It's over for me. But Paul cries with a loud voice Do not harm yourself, for we're all, we are all here. And then the jailer's sort of floored, and it, and it says that he is trembling. With fear. And the next question in the softening jailer's heart, because of this undeserved kindness that he's receiving from Paul and Silas, they're there. They haven't taken off. I don't know about you guys, but I would have hightailed out of there, right? Paul and Silas remain, gospel above all. And they're in there and they stay. And this softens the jailer's heart. And the text says that he brings them out and he asks, Sirs, what must I do to be saved? And they respond to him, believe in the Lord Jesus and you will be saved, you and your household. And then they spoke the word of the Lord to him. So they're probably engaging in the gospel and open, you know, talking about scripture and, and preaching the word. And it says, uh, they did that to all who were in his household. And then look at the response in this transformed man's heart. It says that he took them uh, the same hour of the night and he washed their wounds So before he didn't care about them. Now he's been transformed and changed and he washes their wounds as Christ washed his wounds. And it says that they believed the gospel. They were baptized, he and his household. And he rejoiced along with his entire household that he had believed in God. And then like Lydia, gospel hospitality springs up in him. And it says that he puts food before them and he rejoices with them a transformed heart. Can you think of someone like this? Perhaps a hardened war veteran, upset with God, struggling with PTSD. Maybe one of the off-duty officers that comes and protects our our church each and every week. I mean, these off-duty officers, they see things in Atlanta each and every week, trauma, all kinds of crime. I had an encounter with, um, or a a conversation with one of those officers a few months ago uh, in the parking lot. It was one of the last people, um, I, I think it was late at night, so I was leaving, I don't remember exactly when, and this officer's there, and we start engaging, and he just like opens up to me. He's like, oh, this is a church, like, and he starts telling me about all the things he's seen in Atlanta, and how he's just... He's so messed up from those things and no one lo- could love him and he's ruined all these relationships and uh, we had an, uh, uh, an opportunity to talk about Christ and the gospel and I pleaded for him to believe in this gospel and I don't know if, 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 he, if he received the gospel, I invited him to come to church, but um, these are the kinds of people that are like the jailer and the gospel can change these people. The gospel can save them, it can save anyone in anything. Now remember, the power is not in us. The power is in the gospel. Paul says this in Romans 1:16, right? The gospel is the power for salvation for those who believe. The power is in the word of God. The power is in the spirit. Um, Sinclair Ferguson, a, a theologian, he says this, God's word preached doesn't merely tell us to work. It does the work. So church, trust in the power of God's word. So who does the church scattered reach with the gospel, Well, according to this story, it reaches everyone. In this, in this uh, um, account of Luke, we see three encounters, three individuals, three different ethnicities, three different socioeconomic statuses, three different evangelistic approaches. And Luke is showing us here, trying to show us here that it's one gospel that transcends it all, changes everything. And so friends, as we scatter this week, Look for opportunities to evangelize indiscriminately. Remember, it's the power of God's word that goes before you. And even when opposition comes, the Lord is with you and he will use you as a tool to save others. This is what he's always been doing. So one final question for all of us to ask together today. We know that the church scatters to where the gospel is not. We know that the the church is to evangelize indiscriminately, but what is the fruit of the church scattered? What is the fruit of the church scattered? Well, for Paul, Silas, and Timothy, the fruit of their labors in Philippi, the first church in all of Europe. We have partners in Europe now. They're they're connected to that legacy, right? The first church through all these encounters, and I'm sure many more, and this church is, turns into a beautiful, strong church. And look, what, uh, look at what he says um, in, in, his, in his letter to the Philippians uh, in, in, um, 10 years later. So we have the letter of Philippians. It's written 10 years later. And Paul writes to his beloved church that he planted 10 years ago. And he's in prison again, but in another prison. And he writes to them, Philippians 1, 3 through 5, he says, I thank my God and all my remembrance of you always in every prayer of mine for you all making my prayer with joy because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day, from the first day until now in prison 10 years later. And look at what Paul says um, at the end of his letter in Philippians 4, he says, yet it was kind of you to share in my trouble. And you Philippians yourselves know that in the beginning of the gospel, when I left Macedonia after these three encounters, no church entered into partnership with me in giving and receiving. This is what we want to be with our partners, giving and receiving. No church entered into this kind of partnership with me except you only. Even in Thessalonica, you sent me to help for my needs once and again. Not that I seek a gift, but I seek the fruit that increases to your credit. I have received full payment and more. I'm well supplied having received from Epaphroditus the gifts you sent, a fragrant offering and a sacrifice acceptable and pleasing to God. So this is the fruit of Paul, Silas, Timothy, and Luke's labor. It's a faithful church that has seriously partnered with Paul in the labor of the gospel from the first day until now. A strong mission partnership that bears fruit all over the world. All the churches we partner with in Europe are are the fruit of these labors. It's Christ's covenant. What is the fruit of our scattering? What's gonna be the fruit of our scattering and what has been the fruit of our scattering? Let's talk about what has been the fruit of our scattering. And hopefully this is an encouragement to you all. The Lord is already at work in this growing church. 422 members last year, 88 baptisms. We even baptized a household a couple weeks ago, the Haygoods, it's like acts in real time. We sent out our own first uh, really kind of official long-term missionary in Chris Wong, who's in Paris right now working alongside our partners, hopefully to plant churches there. We've added four new Reach the World mission partners. We get to meet them this next week. We have strengthened our ongoing partnerships. We have more and more members than ever before engaging uh, in Bless the City projects, engaging our city with the gospel. We have a vibrant uh, young adults ministry that's evangelistic. People are coming to know the Lord in our young adults ministry through a lot of you guys here. We have a vibrant college ministry that's going to the sort of the new frontier of this age of missions, the college campus. We have uh, groups being started on campuses through our college ministry. Community groups are inviting friends to, to join them and read the Bible with them. How about a new campus this next year in Sandy Springs, a new mission field where hopefully our churches our church can scatter and, 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 and fruit will be bore and more people will come to the Lord in Sandy Springs. We have some potential missionaries in our pipeline we're trying to develop. Friends, this is really encouraging. My, uh, my hope and my encouragement to you all is that we would actually continue, just continue on in this to go deeper and wider in our love for Christ. And that we would trust God to bear more fruit through our faithful scattering. Friends, our church is growing. It's growing. And a healthy growing church always results in more evangelism. That leads to the gospel going where it has not gone. And that gospel will change anyone in anything. So let's pray. Father, we're so grateful for this church. We're grateful that the gospel came to us. We're grateful that you've saved us by your grace, that through this mission movement that starts in the book of Acts, um, it, it eventually reverberates through, throughout the, the world to the nations, even to the ends of the earth here in Atlanta where we can can know you and gather as a church. And Lord, I pray that as we look at the book of Acts, that you would use your word to fuel in us a movement of mission to our city, our neighborhoods, to the world. I pray that each and every one of us here would put the gospel above everything, that we would be so enamored with Christ that we can't help but take the gospel to our neighbors and our workplaces, to the nations. Lord, we trust that you will work through this word. We trust that there's a lot of good fruit in our church. Keep our church faithful. And may we continue to see, seek to take the gospel where it is not. We pray for all these things. In Jesus' name, amen.